there has been, uh, I guess, a few things you learn as you go along, and I suppose you try to pass them on to others the best you can. And uh, when you get what another man gives you, you've got what he has and yours too. It can make you better. And so I've tried to find some good men someplace along the road to give me some things. I've probed their mind. I've been around them and so on. I have observed over the years the things that people seek after. You know, when you seek after something, uh, it's very obvious. <clears throat> and our country is known for gold in the olden days. In fact, it's a little bit there yet, and people seek for it. But an old gold digger that goes to the mountains and lives by himself and pans a stream of water and lives up there like a hermit, uh, he has to have something more than a wistful thought that he hopes he's going to find gold because pretty soon you kind of lose interest in that thing. But if he really wants it, there's something about him. He's different than anybody else. He'll go to the Yukon trying to find it. He gets what they call gold fever. And he, he's, he's nuts. <laughs> he's, he's unbalanced. He just sort of just goes wild. He goes after that because it obsesses him. And I have turned to find I want that kind of spirit after Jesus Christ. I observe that there's a things that we look at and we tend to uh, relate to that it all depends on the situation. If we were going to apply for a job on a, uh, in a company that wanted a certain kind of labor, a worker, a person with certain abilities, you go to appeal to that man in those areas. And then when you go to be among the church, there's a certain level of introductions we have for each other and to the church and so on. And uh, I got to thinking that, you know, there's some things about the ministry that I started out with that I, that I changed my mind about. Uh, when you're introduced to something that you're going to do and that you're involved in, it's amazing how soon it passes that that certain satisfaction was gone. Uh, you, maybe you had a goal in mind. Now, goals belong to the earthly, not to the heavenly. Uh, I don't mean that entirely, but what I'm trying to say is that we set goals. Uh, the Lord, uh, well, he don't just set a goal. He declares something. <laughs> now, we can't do that. We can set a goal for it. I had a man one time was in his church at a fellowship meeting. I was going to preach that night, and before I preached, he got up and testified, or I testified, he spoke, and he was in one of those high-class, high-powered seminars, like a Dale, what do you call this guy, Dale Carnegie? He just got back from one of those, and it was declare and get and so on. And he got up and said, this year, next time I declare that there'll be a Sunday school annex out here, it'll be full. And I was going to preach on the scripture that all things work together for good to them that are called of God according to his purpose. Not our goal, but his purpose. And I had it all mapped out. And what I was going to preach on, I was going to tear everything down, he said. Only God can declare the future. Now, if God gave that, that's one thing. But if that's your goal, that's your, you say, if the Lord will, we'll do this or that. But we're not God yet. But the little bit of us that is like God wants to be God a few times, and we want to be able to be emphatic and, and, and set a goal out here. And so when we do that, we tend to, if you go back and analyze it, why do I do that? You see, it's the thin line between my spirit and the Holy Spirit. It's just a very thin line. The very thin line between the spiritual and the carnal. To a man that's carnal, he don't know the difference. 
And so we set sometimes, we do certain things, we work on certain things, and we got to understand, where did that come from? What part of me is talking about that? And I get into some of these services sometimes, and you say, well, oh, I'd like to do this, I'd like to be this, and you can name a lot of things. But you've got to come back to somewhere you can say like Paul, this one thing I do. And don't sit down and do nothing because you can't do everything. Choose one thing that you're going to really make a principle out of your life. And I think I've found mine. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't avenues beyond that. But if you don't have a principle, you're looking for somebody else's star to hang on. You're looking for somebody else's successes to follow after. You're going to find yourself like a reporter trying to find out, what did you do? What, uh, you say, well, we broke our record. What did you do? What did you do? Is immediately we think that we've done something when we did something that, that somebody else hasn't done or bigger than somebody else. They want to know how, and so we tell them how. We've got a seminar going, and we go from place to place, tell them how I did it. I don't mean nothing wrong with that in the sense of learning. But I got discouraged sometimes thinking about all the different things. I was like a yo-yo. You know, you wanted to do this, you wanted to do that. After a while, you didn't know which way you wanted to go. You just felt like, which way shall I go? Well, there's no way for us to get experience without having time to get it. If I had my life to live over, I would start back with this. I'd like to have an old-fashioned godly pastor that put me through boot camp in the spiritual realm until I learn how to seek after God. I'd like to have a pastor that loved God enough that I could see him walking with God and fellowshipping the Lord before I ever saw the crowd he preached to. I'd like to have a pastor that had something in his spirit that made me want to know him like he knows the Lord. I'd like to have a pastor like an Elijah that an Elisha said, I'm not leaving you. You couldn't run me off in this place. I want what you've got. I want a double portion of your spirit. I want somebody that's got God in their life enough that makes me want God. And so today, if I can try to shotgun in these areas, and that's what I'm going to try to do. I'm not going to try to preach a message. I'm going to try to talk about our relationships and, and who we are and what we are and what have you. In a German concentration camp during the World War II, there was a man in the service, I mean in the camp, that was a prisoner, a Jewish man. One, one day, uh, a man that made the record of this overheard a conversation that was going on as they were digging a ditch and said, if you read some of the accounts that these poor people went through, it was, it was suffering personified. They lived on meager fare and they went out and worked in the cold, shoes didn't fit, holes in them, clothes skimpy, and they, were, they looked like dirty bums. It was filthy, dirty, harsh, wicked. It was everything that was bad. And one day when it was, it was a very cold day and, and these Jewish slaves were working, endeavoring to dig a ditch in the cold ground. And uh, a young German guard that was just a young fellow, clothed in a warm garment, overcoat with a gun, he got to chiding this German man and he kept probing him and prodding him. You're not digging hard enough. You're just a lazy pig. You're not worth anything, and he berated it, he berated, he berated him. And finally the man raised up from the ditch, put the shovel aside. He said, sir, you see these hands? These hands were not made to dig ditches. 
These hands are the hands of a surgeon. I'm a brain surgeon. I have saved many Germans' lives when I operate on their brain. They're hands that are delicate. They're made to go in where you can't be rough. You've got to be sensitive. And he said, these hands have been steady when a life hung in the balance. He said, I may be in this camp, and to you I may be a pig, but to me, I'm a surgeon. I know who I am. No matter what I'm doing, I know that I'm a surgeon. It's too easy for us to elevate or deflate ourselves according to how we measure something as to who we are. How do we introduce somebody? It's easy to say, and I'm not discrediting this, please don't get it wrong, because there's two worlds we're talking about. To this world, they relate to these things. If it's in a business world, they usually send a man ahead of time, they send the man's resume, uh, his accomplishments, his words to say to his introduction. Um, the honorable senator, the honorable mayor, or the president of this company, and they read off all of his qualifications, how many colleges, degrees, and his accomplishments, and everything that he, they read about this man is going to fade away. And none of them really tell us who the man is. This is where we sometimes miss it. If you're living for an introduction to tell you that I have the biggest, the largest, the greatest, and the most powerful church in the world, you're inspired by something beside the Holy Ghost. Because there's something that gets into your spirit, and you've got to watch it. There's two, there's two situations inside of here. One relates to here, one relates to there. And how much of there will you sacrifice to relate in this one? How much of God would you sacrifice that you might relate to those people that are living right around you now? Whose favor do you seek the most? Who really influences your life? What causes you to be what you are? Would you be in the ministry if there was no pay? Would you seek to have the biggest church if there's no benefit to you in it? Well, who wants more headaches? Who wants more people? I heard of one man say, look, told the evangelist, said, hey, look, get off of the survival kicks. I got all the folks I can handle right now. I don't need no more. Why do we ask for more to come? Why, why, why? Why do we want a bigger, a greater? Is it that we can have the introduction? Or are we prepared to handle the responsibility? Now, don't get me wrong. There's a place for both. But what has the preeminence? What world rules our life? What guidelines affect us the most? What motivate us? And so I, I searched my heart and looking in, in those directions, and I, and I found out that the Lord introduces people in the Bible very uniquely the way he does it. Profound. What I like about Jesus, he's not complicated. He doesn't have to spend a whole volume on, on something and, and tell you nothing. He just puts a little sentence or a statement in. Now, I like to read books, but it's hard for me to read some of the English writers. They write a book that thick to tell me this much. And I get lost in all that wordy stuff. If you can't, get to the, if you can't find some point in the first chapter, I'm about through with you. The point I'm getting at is that there's so much baggage that we drag 
we bring around us that it makes the road a little hard, but God didn't intend it to be that way. I don't believe the Lord intended for us to have nervous breakdowns. I don't believe it ought to be said, I've had it up to here. Well, <laughs> maybe we have. I have. I told God one time, Lord, it's either the folks that you got here that's causing me trouble, either they leave or I'm going. I had it up to here. And as I grew older, I began to know how to handle the situation. I didn't feel that way. It's a strange thing. He'll move one family out and move two back in just like them. <laughs> and you prayed for revival, and the kind of revival you got, it cost you more headaches than, than any revival you ever had. Fourteen prayed through, and the phone rings all night and day. There's folks always asking me questions. They're calling me on the phone, calling me on the phone. Come pray for me. I've got a bad feeling. Preacher, 2.30 in the morning. They're reading the Bible. They don't know what time it is. I just read in the Bible here about something, and I don't know what it means. Can you tell me what it means? After a while, you start pulling your hair and said, Lord, is this what a revival costs? Yes. Babies wake up any time of night. Feed me. Change me. Do something. Work with me. Do something. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You said, I was praying for revival. What kind of revival do you want? I want some good folks that don't bother me. Let me go to sleep and let me do. No, you can't have kids like that. I got a young couple just got married, and I tried to get them not to do this, and, but they did it anyhow. And they, had, they got two children, it's, it's hardly two years since they've been married. And the kids are not mature enough to handle one. Now they've got two. And they're fussing and fighting with each other. And they were so in love when they got their minds set on getting married, I couldn't talk them out of it. Even old folks get that way. It's not just young folks. Some old folks play the biggest fool of anybody. They get their heads all cranked up that they're in love with somebody to get married again the second time, and they ain't got no sense. They don't count the cost. They go by the feeling. Well, the point I'm getting at, when you pray for something, you've got to take care of it after you get it. And those kids that's born in that house, they don't go home at night, friend. They stay. And when you get a revival of brand new converts, Unless there's something in your heart ready to handle that situation, you may find yourself with a problem that's up to your neck. There are no more good sinners left. They're all messed up. They come to God. And so I have to learn, how in the world do you balance this thing out? What do you do? And I think I found some answers. When the Lord introduces Job in the book of Job, he declares he's a man very beginning, perfect, he's a very mature man, he's upright, fears God, eschews evil. That's what he said. Boom, 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 boom. Then he said he's a very rich man, got a lot of cattle and oxen and goats and so on. Just a matter of fact, that's what he relates to in this world. Now, if the Rotary Club was going to introduce Job, they would bring him to the pulpit with a great, huge resume, Job. And they name it all off out here. He's got 14 books on how to be like he is. All the Lord said was, Devil, have you seen my servant? He didn't say how many goats he had, how many cows he had. He said, he's a perfect man. He's an upright man. He eschews evil. He prays. He sacrifices. And Devil, he loves me. <laughs> The devil really didn't answer him in a sense. He just said, the only reason he loves you and serves you is because you blessed him. 
Now, if you wipe all that away, he'll curse you to your face. If God took everything away that you've got, would you still serve him? I'd ask myself that. Let's look at something. This man, Frankel, that was in the concentration camps, also said that when he was changed camps one time, they had kept a little secret thing sewed in their garments, and he had a manuscript. He was a psychiatrist, and he was trying to study uh, man as he's under these kind of pressures. And his whole manuscript was sewed inside his garment, and several other people had hidden things in their garments. But when they changed camps, they took all their clothes. He made an observation. He said, you know, it was strange. Here we were standing in a building, and nobody had any clothes on. Nothing. It, it's, 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 it's a little strange how you just almost, it's just a bland. Who's the greatest? We don't know. We don't have no clothes to, to, to judge by. Who's the greatest? We don't have no rings to look at this big diamonds and to put you up in a high place. Uh, we don't have any uh, uh, record of how much land you own. You, you, you don't own nothing. You are a nothing. How you call great unless you can relate to something that's not great? How can you call good until you can find something that's not good? How can you call yourself so holy until you find something unholy? But when you get a look at the one that is holy, you feel unholy. We, we're building ourselves on comparisons. And we have a certain ego that's carnal that likes to be gratified that I'm in an elite group. You're in a dangerous group when you are. And so he said it, it was, it, it's really strange how much we identify one another in relationship to what we wear and how we groom our hair. He said it was, it, you, can, you, can hardly, you can hardly introduce anybody. Uh, would you meet my naked friend? His number is 2946. That's all it was. Do you realize that we stand naked before God? He doesn't count your talents, your ability, your position. He doesn't count how many people you have in your church. He doesn't count how many offices you fill. He asks you, are you good? And are you faithful? You see, it's different when you get a look at Jesus and if you look at each other. The biggest problem that the disciples had was the fact that they wanted to find a place that's going to make them higher than the others. That's still in our hearts as a person. Nobody escapes it. Child's born with me first, mine. It's, it's selfish, selfishness. That's our nature. None of us are born holy. We were born a child of wrath, but we were born a child of the devil. Our natures that we're born with it's not godly, not righteous, not holy. It's ungodly. Now, if I'm going to preach the gospel, I've got to get a brand new nature because mine is not right. Now, here's the thing you'll notice. It, it, it's, it's pretty obvious. The more you know yourself and about yourself and about God, you recognize there's, there's a mixture between the earthly and the heavenly. I guess the best... Uh, Manifestation of that is, is the horizon. 
Early in the morning, you'll see the sun come up and you can see the horizon very clear. Or late in the evening. And what is the horizon? It's a little bit of heaven and a little bit of earth in the view of the man's eyes. Middle of the day, you don't see the horizon that well. It doesn't seem to show up because it takes the, the, the shadows to see it and takes the light dimmer from above. When the noonday sun comes, it's, it's all daylight. It's, all, it's, it's hardly a horizon out there. You see a little bit of the, the area, but you don't really see the horizon until the sunset or the sunrise. And you don't see really what's in you until the time of sacrifice comes, the time of testing comes, and that's the pressure between the heavenly against the earthly. And when you get those two close together, the one that wins is the one that you see the most. I see a little bit of heaven inside of here, and I see a little bit of earth in here. And it all depends which one I'm trying to relate to as to how you want to be. Did you ever feel awkward you went to some kind of a meeting where everybody there was that was the you know, a worthy person, business people, and so on, sat down to a banquet maybe of some sort, and you, was, and you had uh, people that was all around you that was not Christians, and, and here you are, and they ask who you are. I'm a pastor of a church. And you feel like you're just sort of out of place. You find yourself wanting to come on some level of communication, and so you try to level with what they are on to talk to them. And so did Jesus. But I still realize I'm not one of them. But I got a little bit of earth in me that I can relate to the people of the earth. But I hope I've got more of heaven inside of me that I can make him want to leave what he's doing and come join what I'm in. And the only way you can do that is to be able to have the Lord so in your heart and in your life that it, it has an effect on people. You see, the thing that I noticed also that some of the bright shining stars of the popular uh, past folks that went off on tangents and they were like shooting stars and rockets in the sky. They bloomed and glowed for a moment and out of sight. And then I saw some good men that I thought was, was the foundation of my early ministry to think of these men having something that I could attain to. And uh, I heard records of their great accomplishments and, and, and I heard things that they said and did. And it just sort of made you think, well, you know, I, I've got to be like that to be able to preach and have a church and have people. And I, in that struggle, I lived long enough to see one after the other was shot out of the sky. But I saw some old elders that never budged. I had a pastor that didn't move. And when others fell on one side and some fell on the other, I found out that the one I wanted to attach myself to was not like a shooting star, but he's like an anchor. He's like a pile-driving foundation. He doesn't move. And I started gluing my mind and myself to those kind of preachers. And as I grew up, I began to choose who was influenced in my life. I didn't choose a young preacher in the sense of making him my guiding star. He was my uh, fellow comrade. But I chose somebody that's been through a few storms, somebody's gone through a few battles, somebody stayed with the message, somebody went through some places that, that, that uh, I'm going to go through. And it just settled my mind. And the one thing that kept me on track was the fact that the man that was my pastor kept referring me back to Jesus. Now, please understand this, and I hope you understand it. We, we, we have an organization. We have bylaws. We have, we have to have some rules and regulations to keep peace in the family. I believe in enough organization to keep peace in the family and keep revival going, outreach going, and so on. 
but we don't need we don't be like we don't be like General Motors. We're not like those people out there. We need just enough to keep the thing going. But I've noticed that that uh, when when I began to sort out a few things, I discovered that I got to learn how to live in my realm and the place that God's called me. And if I can settle that, then I think I can handle the ministry much better. And Brother Treese last year in our camp brought a beautiful lesson. It was so powerful to me. It's been, it, it, he just explained what I had in my mind and my heart and what I did a long time ago and didn't realize it. He talked about our canon. God has a pattern for me, not, not for you. I'm not running and competing with nobody. I have my own course lined up. Paul said, I finished my course. And my course is not your course. Your course is not my course. There's no way to compare each other. Because if God wants to make a Stevens out of you, and you're an eloquent speaker, and he wants you to preach one sermon, and they're going to kill you, he can do that. He can spend whoever he wants. And we say, well, he was so, so young, to die so young. The Lord said, it's my money. I can spend it. I want to spend that money that night. I was going to buy me a saw. You see, it's so easy that we put our goals and our, and our accomplishments on the basis of my success to make me satisfied. And if I don't reach it, I'm, I'm unhappy. I, I feel miserable. And, and I start looking how to find it. And I, and I heard that a certain group is having a big seminar in the Pasadena. They're having all the great leaders on church growth, church growth, church growth. I've got concerned about my growth. Am I growing big enough for the church I've even got now? And we have turned ourselves on how big we can get in numbers of people. It's time that the preacher learn how to be, how close can he get to Jesus Christ so he can handle the people that comes to him. Unless we learn how to know him, I don't care what you do, it'll fall. It won't stay together. It's got to be the Holy Ghost and the Spirit of the Lord dominating your desires and your hunger and your obsessions. There's no way. Disciples decided that they'd like to be able to choose a place to sit in the kingdom. They asked for the top place, highest place. You know, he... They said, we want to sit on one side, one on the other. They were looking at the greatest. And Jesus said, I, I don't have a seat for the greatest. I don't have a place for that. What I'm really looking for is somebody to be baptized with my baptism. And I got to look and get that. And I got to thinking, Jesus, help me. I want to do what you have me to do. I've got to find a place that I can enjoy being a teacher, a preacher, and a Christian. And if I can't enjoy this, something's wrong with my experience. Are you having a good time pastoring? Good time evangelizing? Chances are you've got some problems. But enjoy them. Think what a testimony you'll be 10 years, 20 years from now. How bad it was back here at this time. Daniel was introduced with this one little statement. He purposed in his heart he wouldn't defile himself with the king's meat. He was a man that consecrated himself in prayer and prayed three times a day. The Bible didn't say he had to do that. That was his consecration. 
The Bible, the Bible tells me that the angel came and said, Daniel, you're great beloved of the Lord. Name me one miracle he performed. Name me one healing he prayed for. Now, we're putting a lot of emphasis on, on the power of gifts, but Jesus first is looking for a man that loves him enough that the power of gifts don't come first and that the power of gifts is not your credential. I want to have a man to, that I can say, he's a man after my own heart. And I got looking at that and I got to thinking, I want you, Jesus. I need you. I got to have you. He's more than a sermon. He's more than a taxi driver and an errand boy. He's my God. He's my Lord. He's my, he's my salvation. He's the thing I need. I've got to get my eyes on him, and I've got to hunger and thirst after him. Like the heart penneth out of the water brooks, I've got to get a hunger on the inside that makes me want him, makes me seek after him. And I guess when I think of Daniel, the whole book of Daniel is about a man and his consecration, his concern for his people. Yet he, was a, he possessed a position in, I believe, four different kingdoms, high places, like being the president over a whole kingdom. And uh, it didn't say much about that. In other words, I'm trying to tell you, there's some things we introduce ourselves because we think we relate to this world that he won't even mention. What's he going to talk about? I'll tell you what I like about Daniel. He purposed in his heart not to defile himself. Little old boy, maybe 17, 18 years old, away from mom and daddy, away from the priest, away from the tabernacle, hadn't had much training, but he had something in his soul that said, I don't want to defile myself. Now, nobody's going to know what's happened to me. There's probably a thousand Jews that were just as consecrated as Daniel in ages past, that their name is not written in the book. We don't know who they are, but the heavenly record has, a, has an unknown soldier that's known up there. It may be unknown here, but he's got a monument built for the man that's purposed in his heart. To be the greatest preacher, have the largest church, most money, best suits? No. That I just live a clean life. Clean life. And then he made a consecration in prayer to pray for Israel. And he made a consecration to pray three times a day. You see, the devil always tests you on your commitments to see if you really mean it or not. And then when the angel came and and uh, brought the message. Do you know what he was praying for then? He was praying for some more enlightenment. In fact, he got so curious, he began to ask about our day. And the angel said, go to Daniel. That's as far as you can go. You can't understand about this day. It's a coming. Just this much. But the man's hunger to know, to know God, to know what God is doing, hungering after God, made him such that the whole book it's mostly about this man and his relationship to his God living in a heathen kingdom, but he could have written volumes on how to be a president in a foreign country. If God wiped away our talents, our abilities, and set them all aside on the, on the sidelines, 
how would you describe yourself? Now, you can't say that I'm a pastor. No, you can't. That don't tell me nothing. You can't say that I own. No, that don't mean a thing. I mean, take everything that gives you some identity that relates to us as a church and organization or whatever you want. Let's lay it all aside now. Nothing can be said that will even qualify you to be mentioned. What qualities in you could he introduce you with? I see, I read you about Job. Uh, David, a man after my own heart. I think about Jeremiah, that weeping prophet. If they had to put some kind of statement on your tombstone that would tell what your life was like and they couldn't put a volume to explain you, but they could put a statement on there, what would it be? You see, there's a lot of things that, that fade out into oblivion when it comes right down to it. What are you going to do when you get to an old man and you're not able to pastor or teach or preach? It's amazing when you read the scriptures, we read the highlights of an Elisha and an Elijah, and we read of the boom, boom, fire, fire. Hey, there was years, nothing happened. Nothing happened. Elijah said to the servant, go out and look. He said, nothing. Come back again. Go look again. Nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Don't you understand? There's nothing? Yes, I do. There's a lot of nothing days. Nothing. We knocked on 4,500 doors. Nothing. We did this. Nothing. There are just some days that are nothing days. You can't make it happen. Oh, we brag on Make it happen. You can't make it happen. You won't reach any more souls than what the Lord's already touched before you got there. If he hasn't touched and drawn them, your personality won't win them, and you won't get them. Now, I don't know where they are, so I've got to go to every creature. That's my job, to go to every creature. I can't pick and choose. God's going to use us as a witness for or against. So don't think, well, that one can't be saved and that one will. No, I don't know who they are. I must go to all of them. But I'm here to tell you, your results may come back like those fellows did. We invited the folks that you talked to, Lord, and they don't want to come. These folks don't want to come. These folks didn't come. Now, he didn't rebuke and condemn them. He said, go out and halt lame and the blind. Get the folks that can't bring nothing to you. They're dead weights. They're helpless. They're bankrupt. They're poverty. But just fill my house. Now, what he did there was, you know, that's a test to your obedience. Nowhere do the servants complain. They just went. We say to somebody that got a big number, how did you do it? Learn every method you can that will help you to reach people. Because Paul said, I must do all things, all, be all things, all people to win some. Don't try to hide behind the fact that, that I, I, I'm just praying right here. They want to be saved and come here. No. He said, go highways, the byways. You must go. But here's one of the secrets that I think we need to pick up on. I believe the Holy Ghost knows where they are. I believe the Holy Ghost knows where they live and their number, and he's talking to them right now. But the Spirit of the Lord is dealing with their hearts. Isn't it thrilling when you see the confirmation of it? One of our young converts, when she first came into the church, 
And she'd come in through Bible studies, and she was teaching Bible studies at the time as a young convert. A lady moved right across the street from her, and the house was empty for a little while, and she prayed, Lord, put somebody in that house that I can give a Bible study to. And here come a lady with two kids, and uh, she's by herself as a single, and she's a divorced person. And uh, the lady said, the house is rented. And Syl said, I got to have this house. Y you can't. It can't be rented. She said, yes, it is. And she said, it can't be. I've got to have this house. And they argued about it. Before it was over, Syl got the house. One day she's out in front of the yard in her shorts with her cigarette and her beard, washing her car. And Cindy said, I think I'll go across the street and see if I can talk to that lady and introduce myself to her. When she quit working in the car, she went in the house and she went over and knocked on the door and the lady come to the door and she said, I'm Cindy Surway across the street, your neighbor. I saw you out working in your car here. I just thought I'd come over and, and, and meet you. And she said, well, come on in. And she did. She wasn't there for just a little while. And Cindy said, you know, uh, I, I really felt like that uh, the reason I wanted to come over is that I'd like to give you a Bible study if you'd be interested. She set her beer down, her cigarette in the tray, and said, God sent you here. Well, man, that just knocks you off. That's, that's, that's too much. She said, I was just praying while I was watching the, washing the car, and I was saying, God, if you know me, if you really know me, do you know who I am? Can you somehow, can you, can you help me? I need help, Lord. Here it is. They baptized her and her children, and she, they received the Holy Ghost. What I'm trying to show you, there is a walk with the Lord that's, that's exciting, that's not on this binge of stress, strain, push, tug, worry, fret, burn the midnight oils, and grinding away, doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it. And after a while, you say, well, Lord, I hope your reward works. Well, does the reward works? Yes, to a degree. But I'm trying to show you something. I had a dream the other morning, some time ago, and just before church Sunday morning, and it was quite an impressive dream to me. I was standing at the pulpit about here, and uh, the service had just finished, and it's our custom to bring people around the altar to stand and pray together. Dismissal, we pray together for a while, and then work with people around the altar and so on. <clears throat> But there was a lady standing at about that angle, and she looked up at me, and I could tell she'd been in prayer, and she was moved by the Spirit, and she said, we need to pray. We need to pray. She did it something like that. And I, I noticed her face, but I couldn't recognize her as being a person that I knew. But in the back, the back door, there was a man there that, he's a businessman, and, and I saw him pause, and he looked up at the altar and saw everybody and see he heard her and, and I saw him pulled in his heart in his mind I, I need to go pray but but I but I, I gotta go there's something I've got to do it wasn't something bad it was probably an obligation to some kind of work he had to do and, and he, he toyed with it then finally he went on out and so that night I told the dream and I gave a uh, interpretation of the spirit speaking to me about it and I said, the Lord said, tell my church, if they would seek my face, I will go with them to get that job done. If you'll seek my face, I'll go with you. Friend, when he goes with you, 
He'll take the sweat out of it. He'll take the fret out of it. He'll take the, the, the turmoil out of it. It'll become a joy. It'll become a blessing to you. But if we don't put Christ into it, and if we're just working for him and not with him, we're always struggling, struggling. I've got to do it. 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 You see, there's certain things you've got to train yourself to do. That's fine until you get yourself trained. But I think when we graduate to when we start loving like we ought to love, there's something about love that's more powerful than, than force. It will make your heart hungry and thirsty. For the next few minutes, I want to bring what I feel like is a motivating force for me in these latter days, and I'm still making it. I'm happy about it. I'm glad about it. I'm on a one track, and if you hear me next year, I'll be doing the same thing, preaching about the same thing, and you may get tired of hearing it. But I have been on a, on a search. I felt in my heart, I've got to know Jesus Christ. There's something about him that I've got to find out about. You see, you preach for some 40-something. I don't care how long I've preached. I don't know him well enough. There's something about him that's got my attention these days that's above anything that else that I'm doing. I got to the place that I was tired of being a superintendent, being a pastor, going to camp meetings, going to preaching meetings. I've heard it, heard it, heard it. I enjoyed it. It was good. Nothing wrong with that. But there was something inside of me that says, I've got to climb higher than what I've been hearing. I've got to reach a little further than what I've been going. And I've got to realize that I'm not known by what I'm doing. I'm known by who I know. I must know him. I've got to know him. I've got to seek him. I've got to hunger and thirst after him. He's got to come near and dear to my soul. I'm not telling you to go ahead and copy anybody. I believe it unfolds. I believe the hunger makes room for itself. When you hung, when you're really hunger, hungry, you'll find the refrigerator. When you're really hungry, you'll find the food. When you're really hungry, you know where to go. You start looking for it. But there's a hunger got a hold of my spirit. Now, don't get me wrong. I enjoyed all of this. I enjoyed working with the ministers. I enjoyed working with the church. I enjoyed working with the saints. Problems and all goes with it. Thank God. I thank God for all the privileges He gave me to serve in that area. But something inside of me told me, you have spent out everything I've given you and you're about dead broke now it's about time you come back to the house and let me give you something that you haven't had before let me dig a well that's got water you haven't drank before let me learn how to draw nigh to God he'll draw nigh to me friends that's got a hold of my spirit brother Arnold last night in his preaching God has endowed him with some spiritual insights Pray for him. Yes, sir. It's dangerous to have all that manifold revelation. There's a messenger of Satan, and the Lord won't take him off of you to keep you humble while you're getting it. Pray for him. Amen.